Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship and Polyamory Coach. And I wanted to just let you know that if you join my mailing list, you will have access to a quiz that will allow you to determine how well suited you are for ethical non-monogamy. You can take the quiz right on the homepage of my website, which is sumatisparks.com. And that's spelled S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, and Sparks as in Sparks Are Flying, sumatisparks.com. And my mailing list, I, I rarely ever send out email, but it's usually helpful tidbits of advice and information or some kind of um, awesome event that you might be interested in. So I um, look forward to seeing you there and uh, communicating with you on email or on my Facebook group, which is Successful Open Relationships and Polyamory. So tonight I'm really excited to have as my guest Dr. Marie Tuin. Marie is a dating and relationship expert and an editor at the International Journal of Transpersonal Studies. She's done scholarly research on compersion in consensually non-monogamous relationships. In her coaching practice called Love Insight, she supports people of all backgrounds and relationship orientations. Welcome to the show, Marie. Thank you. Nice to be here. So glad to have you. Yeah, I saw um, you kind of floating around the Internet a few months ago, and I'm really glad that we uh, <laughs> we got to finally do a show together. So um, you call yourself a dating and relationship coach, and... I'm just wondering, like, can you start out by just telling us a little bit about your origin story? Like, how did you come to wanting to do this kind of work? What what life experiences led to that? Mm, absolutely. So I was, um, I think, very privileged to be born into a very intentional family structure. So my parents decided to have me without being married and without cohabitation. So that mm-hmm. led me to really um, not take for granted one structure as a model. Mm. And growing up, I just saw that most people took for granted monogamy and cohabitation and a nuclear family as their one and only model to love, and that this created a lot of issues for people because some people might fit, fit into this mold and be happy with it, but some people don't. And so I got really curious about who else is really being intentional about their relationships and creating their own path rather than just trying to fit into the one that's already described. So that's what led me to really be passionate about relationship and intentionality within them. That's really cool. Um, You're originally um, from Quebec, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that was more um, accepted in your culture or was, was your family just an outlier? Definitely an outlier. It was not very mm-hmm. accepted. I mean, I come from a pretty rural area. So mm-hmm. the fact that my parents did that was very non-conventional. Um, mm-hmm. So I started realizing how non-conventional it was when I became a teenager and I started dating and then the phenomenon of mononormativity, the idea that monogamy is the only 
way or the best way to conduct relationships really started to become so apparent to me. So when mm-hmm. I went to college, I remember wanting to maybe date or make out with someone, and there was a lot of chemistry between us, but he told me, hey, I can't um, make out with you because I have a girlfriend. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking to myself, like, what does that have to do with you and me right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So I just always felt that monogamy um, as a default didn't make sense to me. Like, I don't have a problem mm-hmm. with monogamy as a choice, but mm-hmm. I never wanted it to be a default. So so that's why I started really investigating the question, and that led me to want to do research on compersion, um, because that feels like really the um, kind of the, 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 the symbol of the paradigm I want to live in, like the idea that love is not something that you um, trade and barter um, in, in a sense of like, oh, I want your love in exchange for my love, and this is very, um, very regimented, but more as an acceptance of the other person in their freedom, in their choices, and to be committed to their well-being. Totally makes sense, and I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. Can you tell us about a, like some crash and burn experiences you had when you started dating? When you maybe tried to do an alternative relationship style, like what are some of the lessons you learned along the way? Yeah, I mean, I definitely learned that we all need to be very clear about our desires and expectations right off the bat because Mm -hmm. most people tend to assume that the other person can be a mind reader. So, Mm -hmm. like, for example, like one time I actually did have a – what I felt was a one-night stand with someone in college, again, and him feeling like I had totally taken advantage of him the next week mm. because I didn't want to date him and I didn't want to go mm. to the movies with him. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting and very mind-blowing to me. And then, I mean, of course, the reverse um, sometimes was true. Like, I would put some expectations on somebody else and when they weren't met, I would feel hurt and I would feel entitled to my hurt. And then I had to realize, well, I just didn't state my expectations. I just expected the other person to be in tune with them. Yeah, exactly. So that's another thing that I really. Yeah, totally. You remind me of an experience. And that's okay. You remind me of an experience I had, um, I don't know, five or six years ago where I met this guy in a um, Tantra workshop. And so I just made Mm -hmm. this assumption that he, you know, had like a certain palette of skills and experiences just because he was at a Tantra workshop. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we we really ran some yummy energy. We ended up having sex that night. And then the next day he asked me some kind of question like, who am I to you or something? And I'm like, well, you're my friend. And he was mm. so crushed. He was so crushed because he thought friend meant that we're never having sex again, that you're in the friend zone. <laughs> to me, it was just like, well, no, I have sex with my friends. Like, what, what is that? <laughs> it was just, even the oh, word friend gosh. can mean such different things to different people. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. So not only do we need to be very upfront with our intentions, but we also need to define our terms. 
<laughs> right, exactly. And I think that's why in the non-monogamy community we have come up with a certain vocabulary because it's so outside the box that we had to come up with terms like polyamory and then, of course, the term compersion. So um, let's get into that because I know that was your um, what you did your research on, like how how did that term come about and do you know who first coined the term and, you know, maybe give our listeners a definition of it for those that haven't heard of it before? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So compersion is the positive emotions and thoughts and feelings that you would have in relation to somebody else's positive experience. So that's the basic definition. It can be applied to any life circumstance, like your friend, you know, is happy and you're happy with them and for them. Um, But in a non-monogamous setting, which the word originated from, it's feeling happy for your partner when they're experiencing joy with somebody else. Um, Mm -hmm. And that word originated in a non-monogamous community called Curista in San Francisco in the early 90s. That community Mm -hmm. disbanded since, but they just had that experience and they didn't have a word for it, so... They did what a lot of consensually non-monogamous folks do, and they invent their own word, their own language. So that's where it originated from. And so it's been circulating in the poly community ever since. However, it's not yet in the dictionary. So hopefully it will be, because I think that words really help create our emotional landscapes. Like when we know that something is possible through language, we're more likely to experience it. So that was... Another one of my motivations for doing the research. Great. You know, just to stay on the topic of terms for another minute, just to indulge myself, mm-hmm. I've been thinking mm. that we need a term. I think we need a term for, so we have the term metamorph. So for those of you that don't know what that is, that's your sweetie's other, usually their lover, their other partner. So you and your metamorph share a lover. And so then I've noticed that if I have a metamor and they have another partner that I'm not lovers with, that there's a special kind of relationship that I have with my metamor's other partner, not the one I'm sharing with them, but their other partner. There's hmm. some kind of like a, a little bit of a energy there. It's kind of like, hmm, both of our partners are lovers with each other, but we're not. There's some kind of like yeah. ed- edginess there, you know, almost like possibility, you know. <laughs> and mm. so I felt like that relationship <laughs> deserves a definition. So if anybody thinks of mm. one, you know, call in and let us know uh, what you think that, that should be called. <laughs> I need a term for that. <laughs> what about a betamore or like a play on word on metamore? What is it? Or third, a betamore? Betamore, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just <laughs> thinking out loud. Yeah, just something like that. Okay, cool. All right, well, um, back to compersion. So, why did, so you, you referred a little bit earlier to why you wanted to study compersion. Is there anything else you want to add to that, you know, why you decided to make it your, you know, focus of your scholarly research? Yeah, I think that it's one of those places in life where we might find it really difficult or challenging to find love. And I like to explore those edges, those places where oftentimes our biology or our conditioning or both 
tells us, no, you must not love there. And it's not safe to love in that circumstance. And to actually find ways to go beyond that and say, oh, I can find love there. I can find a lot of wonderful emotions, I think can be just very personally transformative and elevating. So it mm-hmm. also encompassed, you know, my relationship, my interest in relationships, but also my interest in personal growth and development. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, do you think that people can learn compersion or is it just something that happens um, I definitely think that, yes, it can be learned, but also it can be facilitated by different mm-hmm. circumstances and contexts. So that was mm-hmm. really the core of my research is what context facilitate compersion versus which context mm-hmm. um, hinder it. So mm-hmm. the learning process has to do with creating the, you know, the grounds for it. It's like, you know, like anyone has has it in them to grow tomatoes if they have the right soil, if they have the right gardening knowledge, if they have the right seeds. So a lot goes into it. But yes, I don't think that there's anyone who just could not experience it. I think it just really Mm -hmm. depends on context. Mm -hmm. Well, so tell us some of those contexts. What are some of the contexts that make it easier to grow in? (laughs) Yeah. So there's like three different categories of context. One is Mm -hmm. individual context, and that um, means your mindset around non-monogamy has to be Mm. positive. You have to have a certain commitment to non-monogamous values. So you have to be committed to the idea that you don't own your partner and that they don't own you and that love is abundant and that everyone should have their own emotional and sexual autonomy, et cetera, et cetera. So if someone has been dragged into non-monogamy by somebody else and they're not really on board, it will be a lot more difficult to experience compersion. Mm-hmm. And then the other individual context is security within oneself. So if you feel mm-hmm. confident about your ability to have an abundant amount of love and people in your life and you feel good about yourself and you also feel resourced, like you've taken care of your body and you feel good about your life in general, it will be a lot easier to experience compersion because you're coming from a full plate rather Mm -hmm. than if you feel less confident, insecure, and less resourced. Mm -hmm. Um, So the second category of context is relational And that has to do with having security and trust within the relationship that you are wanting to feel compersion within. Um, And that means just having great communication and feeling like you have each other's back and that you're actually really committed to this person and they're committed to you. There's Mm -hmm. the relationship with the metamor, is if you like your metamor and you're not feeling especially threatened by them, it will be easier to experience compersion than if you dislike them or mistrust them and feel like they're actually not a good addition to your polycule. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also feeling like you are receiving benefits from your partner's other relationship. So for example, Mm -hmm. if you're 
feeling like, oh, this is great. My partner is dating somebody else, so now I don't have to feel guilty about dating my partner or dating somebody else too. There's a reciprocity here. Or maybe they're really bringing a new level of friendship and community into my life, and I'm obviously benefiting from that. So if there's a tangible benefit from that other relationship, then that's really going to, you know, put the chances on your side to experience compersion. It's one of the biggest factors. Um, yeah, well, and those then finally, are all really... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. And then the last one is social context. And that means, you know, are you surrounded with enough community and role models in order to validate your identity as polyamorous or non-monogamous person? So if you're not supported by anybody else and you and your partner are trying to be polyamorous, but you don't have the sense of community support, it will be harder to feel compersion than if you're really kind of bathing in a in an environment that supports who you are. Yeah, wow, those are all really powerful. Um, I was going to say, like, that that's so much. There's so much information in those, those points that you made. Um, and a lot of it really aligns with the, when I do a workshop about jealousy. I call it transforming mm-hmm. jealousy into love. And I kind of go down mm. some similar points, like, you know, make sure that mm. you have community around you and make mm-hmm. sure that you're taking care of yourself and feeling, you know, self-love and really re- resourcing yourself and make sure that you have abundance of other connections in your life and you're not just depending on your partner for everything. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the, pos- the positive mindset, I love that, the commitment to monogamy because um, – you know, it often starts, we got to at least start with our mind and educate mm-hmm. ourselves about it. And our emotional um, capacity kind of follows slow, more slowly behind our mind. So we might think like, oh, yeah, you know, jealousy is not helpful and I really want to be happy for my partner. And particularly in a situation where, like, my partner might have a new lover and they're having new relationship energy or NRE as we call it. And they're like mm-hmm, really juiced mm-hmm. up, and they're happy, and they're come they come like skipping home, and they want to have lots more sex at home too because they they're you know excited and feeling loved outside. And then the primary partner shuts down because they aren't the one that made them feel that way, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we may like on the one hand we may say like I don't want to feel this way. I want to be happy for them, and yet on an emotional level, I'm back here feeling um, unlovable or not valued or something. So mm-hmm. how would you coach somebody who like their mindset was like, no, I believe in this. I want to be happy for them but my body is over here contracting and wanting to get mad. How do you, how do you deal with that dichotomy mm. in your clients? Yeah. I mean, if the mindset is there, then, you know, we just will focus on the nervous system and emotional side of things. And mm-hmm. that can mean focusing on self-care, focusing on how are you really strategizing for those moments when you feel like you're in a fight-or-flight response. What are mm-hmm. your resources in those moments? Are you going to call mm-hmm. a friend? Are you, you know, going to go out in nature? Are you going to ride your bike? Are you going to watch a show? 
what are you going to do when that happens so that you can feel mm-hmm. like you have a toolbox at your disposal mm-hmm. for when those really difficult emotions come. Um, and, and yeah, like also community, as you emphasized, is really important. So not to have mm-hmm. only people in your life who are monogamous and don't understand what you're going through. And if you go to them, they might just kind of tell you that your pain is because of your non-monogamy, but choosing exactly. friends who get it and can support you within that mindset. It's true. You never hear anybody say, well, your problems are because you're monogamous. You should, I mean, I shouldn't say never, mm-hmm. like in our world we may hear it, but in the <laughs> default world, people don't usually say, oh, you're having problems because you're monogamous. You need to open your relationship. Um, but we mm-hmm. hear that all the time mm-hmm. from the mainstream world. If you're, if you're being polyamorous, people say, oh, see, I told you that would never work. So it's really about yep. how you, like the skill set that you have, and how you work through your emotions and take responsibility for things, not the structure of the relationship, would you say? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're really going into building a structure with open eyes and that's really what you want, then working within it is really about taking responsibility and and growing and, and seeing um, moments of pain and, and challenge and hardship not as something bad, you know, and something that's just happening to you for your, <laughs> for your demise, but as seeing those as growth opportunities. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, this is really great, Marie. What are some of the other takeaways from all the research that you did? So that was the main one. And then another takeaway was just what is compersion? You know, like what is it made of? And I found that it's made out of gratitude for the benefits that you receive from the other person's relationship. So you have to feel grateful. You have to feel like it's a value added in your life and in your partner's life and in your couple or your your relationship. So feeling like there's a value added, feeling like there's gratitude there. And then the other thing is empathy. It's... Mm about feeling into your partner's joy and having this empathy be unobstructed by mm. your monogamous conditioning. Mm-hmm. That's and then, um, yeah. yeah, and then there's the fact that compersion is not an on or off switch. It's on a spectrum. You can feel some compersion and some jealousy at the same time. And both can be on sort of a dimmer. Sometimes you might feel a lot of jealousy in your gut, but you are still having a compersive attitude. So both can coexist. That's really important because oftentimes I hear people in the poly community kind of beat themselves up because they're feeling Mm -hmm. jealous. And that's just um, unrealistic to think like, oh, I should not feel any jealousy it's more useful to think, okay, well, I can feel jealousy without acting up on it and without being an asshole. So to manage one's behavior and to keep yourself, you know, loving and respectful of your partners and your commitments, but also you're able to cultivate a level of compersion alongside the jealousy that you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
Because we really are humans who have many parts of us that can feel seemingly conflicting things all at once. Um, And is it the same thing or is it a different thing when, because I've had this experience where I've actually been feeling jealous and then I threw what I wanted and I was able to transform it on the spot into turn on. And some people can Mm. do it without getting anything in exchange. They just do it in their, in their mind. But I needed to like mm-hmm. ask for a certain amount of reassurance in the moment, and it didn't take long. Yeah. Like, literally, it took less than a minute. I asked specifically for what I wanted. I got it, and I was able to quickly transform that into erotic energy. So is that the same mm-hmm. thing, or is that something different? Um, I mean, again, I think you were able to transform the context of that situation so that you could uh, feel compersion. It was like mm-hmm, saying, right. okay, well, this garden could grow tomatoes if I just added a little water. Can I have some water? Uh-huh. And then you got the water yeah. and then you created ah, this okay. great soil. <laughs> right. So, so, yeah, I mean, maybe somebody else already has the soil that they need and they don't need that extra added thing. But, again, like self-awareness is so important in that equation. You were able to mm-hmm. to be aware of what was missing for you and, and receive it. So I would say it's the same it's the same emotion. You just needed something to shift. Yeah, like you said, the context. Mhm. Mhm. But yeah, and I really like what you said about um, empathy unobstructed by monogamy programming. That was such a great mm-hmm. phrase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's such a common thing to hear monogamous people say, you know, if you really loved me, you wouldn't need someone else, or you know, if I was enough, or am I not enough for you? And so mm-hmm. to remove that programming and just feel that that person wants this experience for whatever reason, you know, either because yeah. they're just, their orient, orientation is non-monogamous and they just, you know, don't, they can't thrive in a monogamous relationship. Or maybe they just found themselves. I have clients come to me all the time who never in a hundred years thought they would be polyamorous, but they found themselves falling in love with a second person and then they contact me and say, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, so it, it does happen. And I mean, I've been so frustrated by the movies that I watch and, you know, even like, what was I watching the other day? Oh yeah. It was um, this really great Netflix series called Atypical. Have you seen that? No, but I've heard good things. Yeah. It's about uh, people on the spectrum dating. It's really good. And there's oh, a character oh, in there. I, oh, I'm so sorry. I was just going to say I saw another exactly the same um, premise that was called Love on the Spectrum. But I guess you're talking about oh, okay. a different show. Well, maybe they are both about the same thing, yeah. Um, maybe yeah, I, cause I'd, cool. heard of, I'd heard of one and I ended up watching Atypical. And it was the whole thing wasn't about dating. It was really about just this one main character so maybe it wasn't the one I thought I was watching but it was still about Mm. somebody on the spectrum and um gotcha and there's a character in the show who who has a boyfriend and then she falls in love with she's starting to fall in love with her best her best girlfriend and her Mm. mother's like hmm her mother notices it and says you've got a decision to make don't you and I'm like, what? Mm. <laughs> what <is that>? oh, <laughs> so sad. Just think how happy you'll all be if you're just all together, you know. So I get so right. frustrated by that 
that programming. And so having that empathy for another, like in an ideal world, her boyfriend, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're like teenagers in this show, so you can't expect too much mm-hmm. of them emotionally. But like <laughs> if they were more emotionally mature, the boyfriend could have said like, hey, I noticed you and your girlfriend are, you know, seems, mm-hmm. there seems to be romance. I'm feeling like a romance there. Like let's, let's see how we can lean into this, you know. Like that would be mm-hmm. an ideal world. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's no um, rational reason why that wouldn't work. I mean, it's one of those things that's very much of a conditioning. It's like, why do we not eat cricket, but we think pork is delicious? You know, like (laughs) a lot of it is arbitrary. When we start thinking about it, we realize very quickly, like, well, it doesn't make rational sense, but ew, Mm -hmm. I still don't want to eat cricket. (laughs) Until maybe you taste them, and then you're like, wow, they're delicious. (laughs) Right. Yeah, or just to be really depressing, maybe, you know, in five or ten years with climate change, we might be eating a lot more insects. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly, and it might not be a bad thing in itself, but it requires a lot of psychological flexibility. Totally. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks. I'm an open relationship and polyamory coach, and I'm speaking with Dr. Marie Tuin, who's a dating and relationship coach. And um, she did her scholarly research on compersion. So we're taking a deep dive into compersion, which is kind of the opposite of jealousy, um, the love and happiness you feel when your partner is having joy with another person. If you have any questions for Dr. Tuin, please feel free to call us. The, the call-in number is area code 657-383-1132. Again, that's 657-383-1132. You won't interrupt us. You'll be put on hold, and we'll answer your call at the right time. So we were talking about some of the takeaways from your research. Um, so from what you learned in your research, how did you find it helpful for those of us that are exploring this form of relationship? Mm-hmm. So it's very helpful to have a roadmap of where do I need to invest more energy versus where am I doing okay? Like earlier, you gave mm-hmm. the example of someone who might already have a very strong mindset towards non-monogamous values, but has a nervous system kind of reaction and still experiences a lot of pain and, and, and trauma, perhaps. So when you look at my research and what context facilitate compersion versus hinder them, you can look, you know, and um, go down the list and say, like, oh, here's where I'm weaker. Here's where I need to put more intention and more effort. Maybe I need to just take care of myself more. Maybe I need to actually work on my relationship and my communication within the relationship. Maybe I need to surround myself with more community, et cetera, et cetera. So it helps really um, locate where you might be able to improve your chances of experiencing compersion and more compersion than not. Um, And another very useful thing is the idea that jealousy and compersion can and often do coexist, which removes the shame from experiencing jealousy. It makes it more 
realistic of a picture rather than just thinking like, oh, if I don't experience compersion and I experience jealousy, I'm not poly enough, which is mm-hmm. totally not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was worried about, that now we have another thing to beat ourselves up about, you know, like, okay, mm-hmm. so I've got to be multi-orgasmic, I've got to squirt, I've got to have, you know, now I've got mm-hmm. to be compersive too. And, you know, there's so many things <laughs> that we try to aspire to. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and so it's yeah, okay. no compression. Sometimes we don't feel that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like it's it's a roadmap to better relationships. You know, it's not you know like whether or not you experience compression, you can look at those contexts and factors and and just work on those, and you'll have a better relationship, anyways. You know, it's not about mm-hmm. reaching that goal, but it's about putting the chances on your side and promoting connection rather than disconnection. Mm. So I think what you're saying is the skills or the context that you noticed in your research that led to or set up the framework for compersion to occur point to skill set in a toolbox that will just make your relationship better whether you not you ever feel compersion. Is that is that close? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You nailed it. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's yeah, because really I mean, imagine, you know, like having a great relationship where you feel safe, you love your metamors, you're receiving benefits from that relationship, you have a great mindset, you're taking care of yourself, and you're surrounded by community. I mean, mm-hmm. at that point, like, who cares? I mean, if you're actually experiencing compersion or not, you're having a great relationship. And I love that you talk about the security and trust within the relationship because um, I mm-hmm. think as we get more and more aware of um, attachment styles um, in our field, we're becoming more aware of how important the security needs to be within the relationship. But up until recently, I feel like things started to get a little too much in the direction of sovereignty and, you know, whatever your feelings are, they're yours to deal with. I just need to have my choice. And things were starting to get a little too harsh. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'm glad to see that, that we're talking more about that. Yes, sovereignty is important for you to have autonomy in your choices that you make with your body and your emotional romantic connections but we also have to give equal time and energy to the security of the relationship where we feel safe and loved and cared for within whatever relationship we're having one or more. They, just because we're polyamorous doesn't mean we can't have multiple secure, loving relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that really highlights the importance of I mean, intention, but also relationship agreements. Oftentimes people will feel a lot safer when they establish and write down and respect clear agreements, which can vary widely from relationship to relationship. They have to be consensual and, um, you know, adaptable as well. Like the relationship agreements, once they are respected for a while, oftentimes will change to give room for more freedom and individual Mm -hmm. expression. But when a couple first ventures into monogamy, I mean, into non-monogamy, they might choose to have 
more restrictions in order to create more safety, and then as they create trust and safety in that new context, then the relationship agreements can change. So it's really mm-hmm. important also to go slower, you know, to go at the pace of the slower person as much as possible mm-hmm. to create that mm-hmm. zone of safety. And it's, um, I know it's hard for the person who's more gung-ho about it, if mm-hmm. there's that kind of discrepancy, but that's one thing I found in my research too, that you you can't skip over the the fear of of one of the people. You can't just ignore them. You have to really create an environment that's safe. Yeah, I noticed that too. And I would often have to get down to asking couples like are you know do you guys really want to stay together like are you valuing each other mm-hmm. are you committed to this relationship because if you are you're going to have to go at the pace of the slower person if one of you doesn't want to go at that pace then you have to think about changing this relationship because you can't force them you can't force someone's nervous system to go faster than it can go it's just not going to work mm-hmm. yeah right exactly it's like trying to make a a small car go faster than it's made for it's not gonna yeah, go very well gonna blow up right <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's cool um so in all of this stuff that you learned um i've i've actually been on a couple of podcasts and, and taught classes for monogamous people because i found that the skills like non-monogamous people have to be have to i think have better communication or like really be on top of their communication if you're going to do this right. And so that same skill set I found applies to monogamous people. Did Mm -hmm. you find some of the things you learned could be helpful to monogamous folks? And if so, what were they? Right. I mean, a lot of um, things in terms of creating a safe environment for both people in in a couple or you know in let's say it's a triad or just more people involved like to create safety for people is a universal whether you're monogamous or not you have to create that kind of communication and trust and bonding in order for the relationship to be successful and Mm -hmm. for there to be connection unhindered so earlier we talked about compersion being empathy without the obstruction of social conditioning or monogamous conditioning. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in a way, like you could apply that to a monogamous setting and say like you still want empathy and you want it to be unobstructed by whatever might be obstructing it. It might not be Mm -hmm. monogamous conditioning in that case, but what is obstructing the flow of your empathy? Like Mm. if, if I have a friend or someone in my life who's experiencing something positive and I am not feeling happy for them, I ask myself, like, oh, what's, what's in the way of my love? Like, something is going on. Because normally, if I have a clear field with a person, I will feel happy for them if they experience something positive. And mm-hmm. when I don't, it usually means that I have an issue that's just not been addressed. So I could mm-hmm. apply the same thing to monogamous people. Like, well, if if the empathy is blocked, try to find out what happened. You know, are you covering an old resentment that is preventing you from feeling happy with them? Is mm-hmm. something, you know, are you feeling like 
They are not giving you the kind of resources and attention and love that you need to feel safe. And if that's the case, address it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I always get confused. I've been non-monogamous for so long. I just can't remember how monogamous folks operate. Like, is it, are you allowed to have lunch with somebody who may be threatening to your partner? Are you, how long are you allowed to hug somebody or how long are you, you know, how close are you able to stand to them? Like those kind of things mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I wonder about, you know, so that I can yeah. see the same things coming up just with like, you know, well, gosh, you hugged that person for a long time. Like what was going on there? You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it goes yeah. to show that monogamy is really a spectrum. It's not like a binary. Mm-hmm. You're either monogamous or you're not. Everyone has their own definition of loyalty and monogamy or relationship agreements. And if people decide to be monogamous, they should also define for one another what that means because they might be surprised mm-hmm. down the line to to see that their partner thought that monogamy just means not having intercourse with someone else whereas maybe for the other person it meant like don't flirt with anyone you know there's many definitions mm-hmm. right yeah and really strengthening strengthening the trust between the monogamous partners so that they can explore those edges like flirting um this is something Mm -hmm. that i talk about in my aging um my polyamory and sexy aging workshop i talk about how if you if you just allow flirting um it actually releases hormones and makes you feel youthful again and makes you want to like dress up and like start taking care of yourself Mm. because it feels so good to get that attention Yes. And I think oh a lot of monogamous people don't realize that they, they can actually make that request with one another. I think people don't trust each other. They think that if you start flirting, it's going to lead to full-on sex, but it can just be flirting. <laughs> it can mm-hmm. stop there. <laughs> and it can really um, help your couple. You know, it can help the monogamous couple kind of stir up those really yummy juices and, and those hormones that then you can redirect towards your monogamous partner and then it's a win-win exactly i think people in long-term relationships don't realize that it's really normal for the sex to not stay hot for 20 or 30 years like it's a Mm -hmm. lot to ask Mm -hmm. in a relationship (laughs) where you're you know you're sharing you're nesting together you're talking about bills and you know, changing diapers and watching Netflix and all those things that aren't necessarily sexy. And to then it's only one that turns on your partner is just such a big ask. So to get a little mm-hmm. help from the outside world, from that newness, like it's okay to ask for help from the world, you know, to, to be noticed by someone else who you find attractive, to, to get to have conversations or lunches or you know, wear a sexy outfit, you know, and be noticed for it mm-hmm. can be so mm-hmm. enhancing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, the very few long-term monogamous couples that I see very much successful at keeping the flame going are those that have mm-hmm. um, some kind of freedom like that or are able to express themselves sexually in the world. Mm-hmm. 
Right, right. Or they're having to work really hard at it. I mean, Esther Perel often talks about, you know, creating space, like just intentionally going out and having lunch with somebody who you might normally date, but not have it be a date. It's just a lunch. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. Yeah. I think it's becoming more common for people to think about that. Um, so tell me if there's anything that, like, really surprised you from your research, something that you weren't expecting to learn. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think it has to do with the fact that there are so many different flavors of compersion. Like, what I found is that people define compersion in many different ways. Um, so some people define compersion as this very embodied experience, like it's an intoxication, it's feeling like so giggly and so happy when their partner comes home from a date and tells them everything about it. And um, on the other hand, there's people for whom compersion is more of an attitude. It's more of a state of mind of being supportive to their partner, exploring other relationships, but they don't necessarily get a high from it. It's more of a cognitive Mm -hmm. experience, more of an attitudinal thing. So that was really interesting. I did not expect Mm -hmm. to have so many different flavors of compersion and they're all valid you know there's not one right answer to it and it can show up different ways and that's another element where it gives a lot of freedom and it takes away that sense of oh i need to be feeling compersion if i want to be a good poly person like no you don't have to feel intoxication in order Mm -hmm. to have you know a positive and supportive attitude you can just say like hey honey like i don't necessarily need all of the details of your date but i support your well-being i support Mm -hmm. you in doing whatever is right for you and and of course i need to be supported too but you can you can be already very content with an attitudinal compersion yeah i could see it be a win just to have the absence of jealousy, you know, almost like an indifference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Someone uh, in my research called it a, a neutral benevolence. <laughs> That's great, neutral benevolence. I love that. <laughs> I love the precision yeah. with which you use the language, you know, Julie. You can mm. tell you're an academic. <laughs> oh, <laughs> cool. Thank you. Yeah, language is so important. I mean, it really creates our realities. Exactly. Um, So I have a question for you. What did your professor think when you approached them with this topic? It was your dissertation. Is that what it was? Yes, yes, exactly. Well, I got really lucky because in my department at the California Institute of Integral Studies, there was one core faculty who was already really interested in that topic and he had already Mm. written a couple of articles on consensual non-monogamy and compersion from a Buddhist perspective because Buddhism is known for also promoting mudita which is the opposite of jealousy it's sympathetic joy and it's one of Mm. the four qualities of the enlightened person so my professor oh. called Jorge Ferrer had already written about that. So he was thrilled when I decided oh. to do my dissertation on compersion. That's great. And, um, you know, yeah, I worked... and I found a couple more people. Yeah. We're thrilled too. A couple. Oh, that's so great. A couple more. Um, you know, I work. 
sorry about that. Um, I worked um, at CIAS in the um, okay. early to mid nineties. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. That's yeah, so cool. a long time ago. But, yeah, I was the human resources so probably, director. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Small world. Yeah, there's still you know some some of the old timer professors around, but I think most of them that you probably know are newer. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. That's great. Um, so maybe give us, you know, close with some stories about. Actually, before I go into that question, um, I want to share with you. I was at a polyamory conference, and there was a researcher. And she gave a presentation. Um, she had researched two populations. One was people who identify as polyamorous, and the other was mm-hmm. people who identify as cheaters well they don't identify Mm. but they were by definition they were cheating (laughs) right (laughs) they they don't want to to own the term (laughs) self-proclaimed cheater (laughs) yeah exactly ashley madison members right (laughs) um (laughs) but anyway she interviewed them and, and shared with us what she learned and the one that really stood out for me and that cracked up the whole audience. This is an audience of people who were attending a polyamorous conference, so they were mostly identified as polyamorous. We all just roared with laughter. When she shared, she had like a rating on a scale of 1 to 10 how much people valued certain qualities, and the value was Mm -hmm. fidelity. Like how important is fidelity to you? And the polyamorous Mm -hmm. people had it at like a 5 on a scale Mm -hmm. of 1 to 10, and the cheaters had it like a nine. So wow. they valued fidelity more than the polyamorous people mm. did, and yet they were violating their own value. So we all mm-hmm. laughed kind of reflexively, and then the more I thought about it, the more sad I kind of felt for them, mm. you know, that they must be really yeah. hating themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. To be trying to create the illusion of fidelity, but not mm-hmm. the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very and sad, the polyamorous sad people state just of didn't really, Yeah, and the polyamorous people just didn't really even value it that much. They were kind of like, well, yeah, it's kind of important, but it's not my guiding light over here, you know. So then mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. don't fall as hard. If you're not holding fidelity up so high on a pedestal, then you can't crash so hard because you're, you don't have the expectation that another person never want to be with anyone else, right? So it, it mm, leaves a lot more room right. for a mistake. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, again, like a question of language, too. Fidelity is a funny word. Um, if you would ask the same question of those two groups but change fidelity for loyalty or commitment, I bet mm-hmm. you would get a different proportion because there was another study that was done, um, I can't remember by whom and when, but they researched commitment in consensually non-monogamous relationship and found that, you know, non-monogamous people value commitment just as much as monogamous Mm -hmm. people, but they Mm -hmm. don't necessarily define commitment as sexual exclusivity, whereas for monogamous people, commitment equals sexual exclusivity. It's just a very different definition of commitment and loyalty. It's true. And I noticed that from like doing dating on apps that I kept hearing 
men who are, I primarily date men, and I, I kept hearing the phrase, I'm looking for a committed monogamous relationship. And I didn't mm-hmm. really hear it as that these were two different things. I was hearing it as that committed monogamous was almost like one word, like it was synonymous, mm-hmm. commitment and monogamy were synonymous. And I was like, okay, well, wait, let me just parse that out a little bit. Committed is one thing, and then monogamous is another. So, like, are you open right. to a committed non-monogamous? I'd have to really separate that out, and then mm-hmm. I'd watch their heads explode because <laughs> it wasn't anything they ever thought about before. <laughs> right, right, exactly. We're socialized into thinking commitment means exclusivity. It means monogamy. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so let's end on a positive note. Do you have a story about somebody who was able to reach a state of compersion, you know, despite all odds, like even when it didn't seem like it was going to be possible? Mm, yeah, I have a heartwarming story about that, actually. So I interviewed um, a couple who were in their 50s, had been married for 30 or 35 years, something pretty substantial like that, and had become non-monogamous just in the past couple of years following an affair. So it's Mm -hmm. very rare for people to recover from an affair and still be Mm -hmm. connected and grow from it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's about a Mm -hmm. 4% chance that this can happen. And not only did they recover, but they decided to open up their relationship and read all the books and do the workshops and just really invest in that new way of relating because when the women had uh, an affair, the husband realized like, okay, I'm betrayed, I'm hurt, but I understand why she did it. And that Mm -hmm. seed of understanding created um, a seed for compersion because understanding Mm -hmm. is the root of empathy. So there was a possibility there. And instead of focusing on the betrayal, they tried to, focus on that commitment that they had and wanted to keep for one another and that translated into giving one another permission to explore outside of the marriage. So now they're experiencing compersion and, you know, each are dating like three other people. It's a very, very impressive, wow. very wonderful story. Wow, that's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, that is really rare for a cheating, especially if the partner wants to keep seeing the one they were cheating with (laughs) that's Mm -hmm, really hard to do mm -hmm. and a lot a lot to ask yeah (laughs) yeah well that's a really cool story thank you so much so we're about out of time marie and i want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you if they'd like to learn more about what you offer absolutely thank you so much for having me it's been such a great conversation um, so mm-hmm. people can find me on my website, loveinsight-dating.com, and that's my coaching website where I um, offer 30-minute free exploratory sessions. So that's loveinsight-dating.com. Mm-hmm. I also established a compersion website, and that is, com- um, sorry, that's whatiscompersion.com. And there mm-hmm. I have resources, books, podcasts, um, and, um, and just more information about compersion specifically in my research. So one um, or the other, you can reach me. But if you want coaching, go to Love Insight. 
Fabulous. So you're offering a 30-minute complimentary kind of mini coaching session. That's really generous of you. Of course. I love meeting people. Great. Well, I hope people will take advantage of that. That's really special because you certainly have a lot of knowledge from this and a lot to, to offer. So thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciated getting to know you, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. Likewise. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. So um, if you're still with us, next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, my guest will be Indigo Dawn, who is this incredibly young, not incredibly young, but this young, incredibly um, brilliant light in our um, community who's really coming up onto the scene in a big way. Um, They are a transformational coach and workshop facilitator, very heart-centered, brilliant young person. So I hope you'll join us next week. Um, We're on the air live every week at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio. And all of my prior episodes of Leading Edge Love Radio are on my website at sumatsparks.com. You just go to the radio show page And you can listen to all my over 100, I think this is maybe the 112th episode. So um, go back and listen to all the prior episodes. So many wonderful people I've been privileged to interview over the last few years. You'll find those interviews on there. So please make use of those because they're free for the community. All right. We'll see you next week. Good night, everyone.